0: It's the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info is the website. If you love Asian boxing like me, you will be on it all the time. That's what I was doing this week was I was looking at videos. I was reading Scott's articles. I was all over it, Scott. By the way, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. Thank you. And yourself?
0: I am doing great. And it was a great week of boxing. It's been a great month of boxing. Let's get right into it. Masayoshi Nakatani. Big fight on ESPN here in the States. He made an entertaining fight, and gosh, he gritted out a very, very tough fight against a decent fighter in Felix Rodejo.
1: He did. He gritted out. He won a fantastic contest. I think um, he proved a lot of people including myself wrong. I went into this belt thinking that he was looking for a pair one final cash out before calling it quits. After all, he had retired um, last year, but no. He gritted it out. He really shot some balls and he could have stayed down in round one. He could have called it quits after round four and he was way down in the circle. Instead, he, he basically Antonio margarita Vadejo um, just broke him down round by round in the second half and Vedejo perhaps showed that he's not the ilk that we thought he was. Nakatani, on the hand, yeah, genuine world-class contender. I think he's proven himself now and he deserves one more big fight before his career is over
0: i'm glad he got back in there because there is something about ending on a loss against lopez where you saw that promise you saw wow he can compete at this world level and then for him to retire it was a little disappointing because you wanted to see more he did come up with the injury in this fight so you understand why maybe he wanted to to call it quits because Didn't he have a fracture also in that Lopez fight, and he comes back and fractures his orbital bone again?
1: Yeah, I believe so. I'm not sure how bad the fractures are. Um, Fracture orbital always sounds bad, but there are varying degrees of injury there. From what I understand, it's not a horrific one, and it's not one that's going to be career-ending, but it is going to be painful. Um, He seems in really good spirits. I don't think it's anything that's going to be anything more than just a time thing for recovery.
0: That definitely is good news, and it's the fight game. It's the hurt business. So You're going to get those nicks and cuts and bruises and fractures. It all comes along with being a boxer. Nakatani, though, he's not especially skilled, but he's long, he's lanky, he has decent speed, decent reaction, and I think he has a good right hand and, most of all, a granite chin where... I think there's a point where Verdejo is like, man, I'm hitting this guy with everything I have, and he's he's not staying down.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys that gets you mentally as well as physically. We saw the, we saw it against Izuki Tomiyoka. Tomiyaka dominated him for six rounds, but couldn't put him away, couldn't hurt him, and he just keeps coming. He's when uh, you're tall, rangy, teak tough, solid power, you're a hard guy to beat, and. I don't think as many fighters are going to be jumping to get into the ring with him.
0: For Nakatani, do you think his next fight is for a world title?
1: I think that's what he wants. it's what he gets is a different question. We know he wants to fight Lopez in a rematch. Um, potentially a fight with and Haney would make sense. I think with all the titles being on, Lopez is worse. I don't see that actually happening, unfortunately. Um, but There's a good chance he ends up getting a shot when Lopez vacates and moves up, which will Probably happen by the end of next year.
0: It would be just great to see him get one shot, just for him to get a chance at it. Before he ends his career, even if he comes up short, I'd be very happy for him. For the warrior that he's been in the ring, he deserves one world title shot.
1: He does, especially when you see people getting repeated shots off not deserving them. It'd be a shame to see somebody not getting a shot of having his ability... When you see somebody getting recycled, like Cobra Pula recently, didn't deserve the shot. I know he went on Eliminator but let's be honest, he was so far behind Joshua. Now he's he proven he belongs on the world level, so it'd be great to see him get a shot.
0: Yeah, but AJ won, so weren't you happy about that, Scott? ecstatic. Because of your favorite promoter, Eddie Hearn, now he makes more money. It, it's it's going to be great. Tyson Fury versus Joshua, I'm sure you're. Countrymen are very, very happy about that. that that's probably going to be next, possibly.
1: Possibly, maybe. I'll get excited when they get in the ring.
0: Maybe Usyk next. How about that? We'll, we'll, we'll settle for Usyk. Maybe Usyk for
1: Joshua Wilder for Fury again. Yay in a year wasted at the heavyweight
0: division. <laughs> you sound so thrilled, so excited. Don't you just love those heavyweights?
1: Not really. I don't love the politics. I love it when they're fighting top the top There, but the politics really just made it rather mundane and boring and dull
0: and frustrating. No, I agree with you there, and that's why we stay in our Asian boxing sphere where there's less politics. There's still there's still some politics there, but the fights get made, and, and one of those fights that was made that was interesting up until there was a cut was this past week at and Hall, Daishi Nagata, defending his super lightweight title against the weathered veteran Akihiro Kondo.
1: Yeah, this one, I I went into this thing. Nagata's going to take an easy win. Kondo's beyond his best. Kondo looked very, very worn and weary against Akihiro Walker. He got knocked out a few fights ago by Danua Roe Viking. And Nagata couldn't really keep up the pace. Nagata set a really high purse, then a clash of heads and he was really badly cut and from there on it's kind of like Kondo was coming on for a few rounds and I was underwhelmed by Nagata who I've been a big fan of I think he really underperformed here and I think he fought Kondo's fight at times he's putting a lot of energy in trying to take Kondo which is never a good idea Kondo timed stuff well he took a few rounds to get going and I guess Nagata's a little bit lucky that he took an early lead because had that gone on I see Kondo Steven in the second
0: half. Yeah, it ended in a technical draw because of that cut due to a headbutt, but I agree with you Scott. I think in those last couple of rounds before the cut, Kondo was winning those last couple of rounds and if the fight continued, the success that he had with that overhand right, I think he could have pulled out the win and Nagata was probably just lucky to get a draw and retain the title.
1: Yeah, which it's completely different to what we thought we were going to see with Nagata, who yeah, had really impressed in the past with energy against Ricky Naito when he lost a very close one. He impressed again when he beat Koki Inoue earlier this year. This was really underwhelming. I wonder if he just overlooked Kondo a little bit going into the bout
0: I mean, made for maybe a little bit more of an exciting fight, I guess. Like, the fact that Nagata didn't dominate like maybe we thought he would. Because both guys were kind of in, in their trading and then both got good shots in. So it was kind of fun to watch. But yeah, you thought Nagata was really going to, to take the uh, bull by the horn and dominate the fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think really Nagata was looking to line up something big for next year, perhaps a rematch with Naito or a um, about with Andy Hiroaka and perhaps looked at them as what's next as opposed to what's now and took his eye off it. He was underwhelmed.
0: Also, on the undercard, we saw the Japanese Lomonchenko, And this is something that better be copyrighted by us here at Asian Boxing. The Japanese Lomachenko, Rentaro Kimura. Scott came up with the moniker. Uh, Kimura won this fight, but there was times where he got shaken up a little by thunder. He was struck by thunder.
1: He was. Um, yeah, Thunder, Teruja, a couple of times in rounds, two and round three. Um, I do wonder if this was perhaps Kimo trying to impress the fan base, trying to impress the crowd. His debut was fought at the Corken Hall with no fans in. His second bout was fought in front of what, 50 fans at the Fujisan Messe. Now he's fighting at Corken Hall in front of a few hundred. I might be making excuses for him, but I think he was trying to impress. I think he was trying to put on a show um, and gave away quite a lot of what he can do against Toruya, fought Teruya's fight. Made for to anyone. But I think, uh, I don't think we saw it anywhere close the best from Kimura.
0: I understand you want to be flashy. You want to keep your hand down. You know, he has his right hand down the entire time. It's just not going to work against good competition. And I honestly think he needs to step up in class And face someone who can push him to become great. He can't keep on fighting. And, you know, I know he's only had three fights, but he is that skilled and talented to where he could step up in class and fight someone to push him so he doesn't have that bad habit of just, you know, leaving his hands down, sticking his head out the entire time. Because while that's entertaining, when you really step up, it's going to maybe come back and bite you when you don't have those fundamentals down?
1: My understanding is that he is going to be matched with a much harder opponent in the new year. They were talking about a Japanese-ranked fighter, so that can move on to a um, a Japanese title fight some point next year. So I think the, the, the likeness is that he's going to be looking at a top-10 Japanese-ranked guy, um, just pushing him forward. I think he's had the few entertaining fights, a few to have fun, get used to the ring, and now it's serious business. His promoter... Um, aren't one of the biggest ones, but he does have Misako's backing, so he has got a big a big strong backer to go with his usual promoter. And the talk is that he wants to become the first world champion in Shizuoka, uh, from a gym in Shizuoka. So the expectations to high on him. I think it's now time that he needs to sink or swim, and at least domestically, he needs to take on somebody a bit tougher. Of course, with COVID on, international points aren't going to be very easy to come by, so he hasn't been able to have the international opponents over to try and test himself and he's perhaps wanting to play about a little too much with domestic
0: opponents he's skilled enough i think he really is to make it at the world level but it's gonna take some time and yeah he has to test himself at the domestic level but gosh some of the body work that he does just spectacular really i mean Thunder was tough, because some of those body shots that Kimura was landing on him, I, I don't know how Thunder stood up from, from some of that. So, I mean, he has all the skills. It just, we want to see him against a better opponent.
1: Yeah, like you said, he finished off with a body shot, I believe, in round four as well. Absolutely down the middle. Brutal um, punch variety. Brilliant hand speed. Weak defense, but again, I'm not sure if that's because he's playing too much. He's got everything. He just needs polish. He needs experience. He needs testing. When he gets that, I don't see anything stopping him.
0: Asian Boxing, the podcast with Scott and Colin. Another very, very entertaining fighter. It was his debut uh, a couple of days ago, Takahiro Tai. And I only tuned in to watch this one, Scott, because you said, well, you know, he's kind of a prospect. But he was very entertaining, and I was not disappointed because right from the moment he walked out for his ring walk to the end of the fight, I was smiling just because of how entertaining Ty was.
1: So Ty, for those who don't know, um, was a former amateur standout. He was one of the very few amateurs in Japan. who was a pure switch hitter. And when he turned professionally, he said, I want the world to know my name. And with performance like he had on debut against Ryusai Hamaguchi, he's going to make the world take note of him. It's hands down. It's exciting. It's, Come and hit me if you think you, <laughs> if you, think you can. Um, very flawed. Not as quick or as reflective as he thinks he is, but very, very, very fun to watch. He's about as un-Japanese a fighter as I, think I can imagine.
0: In terms of at least Japanese switch hitters that I've seen, he did it pretty fluidly. But you're right, I, I think... It's going to catch up to him if he continues to do the, the Nassim Hamad, Pernell Whitaker mixture of uh, hot-dogging it around the ring when, you know, he he definitely was skilled, I think. But I think it will catch up with him against tougher competition if he continues to, to hot-dog it like that.
1: Yeah, I think as with Kimura, um, I wonder if it was a case of trying to play to the fans very early in his career get the fans on side, win them over now. or either win them over or make them hate you very early. And then when they're interested, you can perhaps just polish off, perhaps take time a little bit more, um, show the defense, but you cut them nice and early. You've got the fans following you very early on, and that's some of the hard work done already.
0: And then also um, on the card, we had the sister of a former Japanese boxing champion,
1: we had the debut of Samir Yamanaka, the younger sister of Ryuya Yamanaka, the former WBO Minowite World Champion who had to retire due to a brain injury when he lost his title. Um, she looked really talented. I, I was a big fan of Ryuya. I thought he was a fantastic, um, fantastically skilled young fighter. And Samir has some of that same talent. She has a natural understanding of the ring. Um, her opponent wasn't really up to much, but she did exactly what she needed to do. She took a clear far-round decision. And there's a lot to like about it at this very, very early stage.
0: Boxing runs in the family. You, you see brother and brother with Naoye Inoue Takuma Inoue, and now brother and sister. I love it.
1: Yeah, I think that's the second brother-sister partnership in boxing in Japan as well. Uh, unfortunately, I got the name of the other ones. But yeah, I think we're going to see quite a lot of them in the coming years.
0: Uh, moving on to another card in Japan, and this one for three different titles fukunaga versus nakagawa how did this one turn out scott
1: this was probably the best fight from last week if we ignore the Nakatani one this was just fantastic it was a slow start um fukunaga took center of the ring very early on he dropped nakagawa in i believe it was round four nakagawa then bounced back and seems to be still in the bout as we went into round seven and eight and then rounds eight and nine, which is all it was. Rounds eight and nine are just two of the best rounds to watch this year. But they took so much out of Nakagawa that come round 10, he was almost on his feet. Um, stayed up, but was stopped standing partway through the round. Um, yeah, this was just brutal. I think both guys were going to take at least a year, at least six months um, out of the ring. The balls, they were both taking just a brutal, brutal superflyweight war.
0: That's what you hope to see. When there's three titles on the line, you expect a big fight. And sometimes we don't get that. I I think most of the time when you have unifications, you're going to get a good fight. And I'm glad that's what happened here. Like you said, both of these guys probably going to have to take some time off, though. And and we'll see what they do next. Uh, Hiroki Okada fought Izuki Tomioka on this same card.
1: He did, and that was a really, really strange fight. Um, Tomiaka took control early on. He was in charge through three rounds. Just unfortunately, he couldn't hurt Okada uh, in any way. And by rounds four and five, Okada just walked him through everything. He threw it in, walked him down, and did enough in the end to take a close competitive decision. Tomiaka is a talent. Tomiaka is one of the most naturally talented boxers in Japan. He just has absolutely no power on his shots. He has a better job than Nakatani. He was outpointing Nakatani when they fought a few years ago. But again, his lack of power just allowed Nakatani to walk him down. Same again here. It's a real shame. Tomiaka is a gorgeous boxer to watch. Just can't hurt anybody, which is a major issue for a professional boxer.
0: The Asian Boxing Podcast. Asianboxing.info is the website for it all. You'll love videos of Asian boxing. That's what I do in my free time. I go to the site and I watch them. I read the articles written by Scott. Sometimes I listen to the podcast because uh, I like Scott on it, but there's some other guy on there that I'm not a big fan of. Now, we do have a little bit of news pertaining to a fight this week. The Nonito Donaire versus Emmanuel Rodriguez fight. That was... That's going to happen in a couple of days. There is a replacement for Donaire.
1: Yeah, so Donaire was pulled from the belt after having a positive COVID 19 test. He um, was then replaced by Raymart Gabala, who was meant to fight on the card anyway. He was meant to fight Jose Velazquez for the WBA interim title. Um, that was basically a sweat swap Gabala and Donaire out. And then soon afterwards, Danaire paid for his own testing and tested negative. That suggested that he got a fit positive, which is causing him out the fight. Unfortunately, it appears too late for him to now be put back into the place that he did have previously on the show.
0: This fight, though, between Rodriguez and Gabayo, will it be for a title?
1: It will be for the WBC interim title, which makes the situation a little bit more confusing, given that uh, Nadine no, you know Obali is now the champion of recess. Um, so, I have an interim champion a champion of recess, but no regular champion. The WBC doing what the WBA usually
0: do. Yeah, just a lot of different titles. I, I don't like that you put the interim mark on this because now you, you have the winner of this and you'll have Obali, but you'll also have Donaire. So, who gets to fight who? That's going to be the real question.
1: In a perfect world, it'd be Obali vs. Dunair in the new year, and then the winner of that faces the winner of this. In a perfect world, but again, we follow boxing.
0: It'll be interesting. I'm interested to see in what Inoue does. Now, does he go after Casimero first?
1: I'd imagine he faces Casmarinas in the spring in the mandatory IABF, and then he'd imagine, hopefully, the WBC picture will be tidied up. If not, Casimero or the Casimero versus Rigondale winner maybe or a, a different mandatory. He has options. It's just um, it's a shame that perhaps this takes one of those options away.
0: Yeah, we, again, we hope uh, everyone stays safe, everyone is okay. And I, I'm glad that Donaire's uh, test came out negative. So that is a, a good thing. That's a plus. Triple G. I I don't know the last time I saw Triple G fight. It's been that long. But Triple G is back in the ring, albeit against an opponent who I'm not too excited about. But, hey, anything to see Triple G back in the boxing ring?
1: Yeah, his opponent, uh, uh, Kamil Zarameta, I think he pronounced his name, he's not going to be much of a test. I think... um... I think this is less about whether or not Golovkin will win but how he wins. What's he got left in the tank? How much is actually there um, at the age of 38 after 14 months out of the ring? If he's diminished to the point where he can no longer cut it at the top or if he struggles with uh, his polish opponent here, I suspect that maybe he looks at retirement. Um, But if he looks good, if he looks refreshed, if the the year out's done and the world are good and it's letting his body rest and heal up any nagging injuries yeah it may end up being a blessing in disguise that
0: COVID caused him to have uh, 14 months out the ring I love Triple G I, I love his attitude love the way he boxes fun style to watch but I, I just don't know if he could ever get back to to the level where he could maybe go for that third fight against Canelo and and get some revenge
1: you think at the edge of 38, with Canelo having already moved up in weight, that's not going to happen, if I'm being completely honest. Although, maybe maybe next year we see Golovkin versus Murata. Yes, please. Put that one in the Tokyo Dome. And it's Todd Canelo. He can do his own thing.
0: I would love Murata versus Triple G. Boy, would that be a fun fight. Both really good styles if you want to watch an entertaining fight. Uh, Murata and Triple G would make that. Obviously, Canelo, like you said, doing his own thing, chasing bigger things at 168-175. Jason Mama is supposed to fight Muthlani for the IBF world flyweight title. But you, Scott, say this bout is up in the air, possibly.
1: Yeah, this bout is very much up in the air. As of today,
0: the box in South Africa, so the head of
1: these sort of boxing in uh special boxing in south africa Le- uh, released a media statement earlier today uh, announcing that they would have to cancel the event uh due to i quote it became evident to this federation that the promoter has failed to meet the basic requirements to enable boxing in south africa to sanction and give credibility to the event they've not go into any of the real details to what it is so I would assume it's something along the lines of no COVID testing or an inability to set up the venue in the right way or something like that. There. But it's worrying that this is broken just four days before the event and several days after Mama has flown out to South Africa.
0: Yeah, I mean, they couldn't have told him, hey, stay at home. What makes it even more telling, though, is that
1: uh, Box South Africa, done, again, quoting from their release, they've done everything possible to save this tournament. However, on Friday 11th December, it became evident that the promoter's failed to meet its basic requirements. This hasn't just popped up today. They basically told the promoter almost a week ago, you aren't having your event. And yet the promoter's failed to tell anybody.
0: Yeah, it's really frustrating. If I'm mama, I'm not happy because I took a pretty long flight to get here. I've prepared. I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's go. And then you cancel it.
1: If you're mama, you're frustrated. If you're part of his team, you're frustrated. If you're um, the TV company who emit a televised about a super spot in uh, South Africa, you're frustrated. If you're somebody from the Kuala Zulu Natal provincial department spot, you're annoyed. If you're a local fan, you're angry if you're miscellany, you could be wondering why your almost messed up your homecoming.
0: I understand being extra cautious. I you get that. But at the same time, y- you just wish that uh, there had been notice given a little bit earlier. Let's get past this news and let's get to some good news. Christmas Day boxing, Scott. I think probably your favorite type of boxing because Christmas is your favorite holiday. It's mine too. And then you get boxing, which is our favorite sport, on the same day. So it's, it's, a, it's a win-win for both of us.
1: It's a win-win until you rise. I up to the time where Santa would be arriving to watch boxing. Um, because this is in Thailand where they're wonderfully bottom boxing in the middle of the day. And it's re- really good boxing. Let's just see Pech CP Freshmart take on Kongfa Nakon Wong in the main event. Pech CP Freshmart, also known as Pech Slotchapatna or Salapat, is best known for facing Takuma Inoue at the end of 2018. He was the guy that Inoue fought for the WBC interim title and just kept coming and coming and coming. Technically not the best, but High energy, decent chin, good work rate. Um, Confer Kongawang, on the other hand, actually got stopped about three fights back by Remac Balot. So the world just wants to revolve around. uh fact, we already mentioned in this podcast. I don't see anything other than a win for Petch. I don't think Kongva has the arsenal needed. But boxing on Christmas morning, what's there not to love?
0: Opening up the presents with the family, sitting around a fire, drinking hot cocoa, and watching boxing. Sounds like an ideal Christmas to me, at least.
1: This will be not like three o'clock in the morning.
0: <laughs> okay, well, maybe not. Maybe I'll be asleep, and I'll wake up and watch it later on Asianboxing.info when the video is posted later, which happens. Exactly. And that's why I, I that's why I love the site because I get to do that because a lot of times Scott, like you said, it, it's very early for us, right? The fight goes on, and for you, it's it's during the day or in the early morning, but for us, it's like three in the morning. I'm not up at three in the morning. I'm asleep. I'm in bed. I'm waiting for Santa Claus. So instead, I wait. It gets posted to the website, and I get to watch it in full. There you go. Um, Scott, we have mentioned. A lot of different things on this podcast. But what we haven't talked about is a K1 kickboxer making noise in the boxing scene. And, you know, kickboxers, they usually do pretty well when they come over to boxing because they think, hey, I don't have to worry about kicking anymore. I just have to worry about boxing. Take one of those out of the equation. Who's this K1 kickboxer? That is now a part of the Ohashi Gym.
1: Before I actually mention this one, I do need to correct you. We have previously mentioned a K1 kickboxer who went to boxing, and that was Kaya Taro Fushimoto, Uh That's his background to the heavyweight.
0: That's right. No, I do remember that now. Okay, so this is the second guy we've mentioned.
1: Yeah, we'll go with the second guy. This one is Yoshiki Takai, who as a kickboxer went 23-2, scored 16 knockouts, including 22 in a row, He um, beat former boxer Kenji Kubo in a kickboxing belt. He was, I believe, um, the K1 World Grand Prix Super Bantamweight Champion and the Crush Bantamweight Champion. Very, very, very talented. I'm watching footage of him. He has really good hands. Um, There is a little bit of an over-exuberance to his punching, and he does perhaps get a little bit overexcited, but he looks a real talent, and it's going to be fantastic to see him and see what hashi can do with him. Interestingly, he fought to a draw in the amateurs with Tenshin Natukawa, which is uh, a bit of a startling fact, and that was way back in 2012.
0: Ooh, Tenshin. We all know who he is. I, uh, I wish he had done better in that fight, but you know, we can only wish. We can only hope. Now, why do you think he decided to leave K1? Because it seemed like he was dominating, like he was one of the best in the world.
1: I wonder whether or just perhaps went to look for new challenges. As you say, he's one of the best in the world. He's dominant, and it can sometimes get a bit boring to be at the top by his soul. He's meant to be making his debut early next year, and he'll be trained by Akira Yaigashi. But could well be working with the Jim get to shoulders with Inoue Yaigashi, Ahashi. Um, it could be that there's actually drawing him over. It could also be money. Um... If Kakai does well in professional boxing, he has the doors open for him to make a lot more money than he did in K1.
0: That's a good incentive, because you're getting hit, you want to make money. Like you said, boxing, you're going to make some more money, and hey, if he becomes a superstar, even better.
1: Yeah, he's in this sort of weight class that you can see interest in the US, you can see interest in the UK. If he can make it a weight, a super bantamweight, doors open up for good paydays.
0: Thank you again so much for listening to the Asian Boxing Podcast, wherever you may be, whether you're in Asia or Europe or America. We love you. We appreciate you. And we thank you for listening to this podcast. We have so much more to talk about next week and the weeks coming up. New Year's Eve, Ioka Tanaka, right around the corner. Can't wait for that. So. Make sure to stay tuned for more podcasts coming right around the corner. But until then, we will talk to you next week.